Days. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You maybe owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You maybe owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Hello, I'm Phil Collins. You probably don't know it, but years ago, I made my motion picture debut. But what's funny is I don't really remember if they paid me or I paid them. What I definitely do remember, though, is that it was one of the highlights of my life. Probably yours, too. So join me in looking back at something very special that happened to us all back in 1964. On July the 6th, 1964, a modestly budgeted black and white movie premiered at the Pavilion Theatre in London's Piccadilly Circus. The stars of the film were British musical quartet, who at that moment were riding a wave of hysteria known as Beatlemania. In fact, the movie itself was about what it was like to live in the eye of that Beatlemaniacal hurricane. Has success changed your life? Yes. At the time, nobody knew that A Hard Day's Night would forever change the way we viewed our heroes, that somehow, by presenting this fictionalized day in the life of the Beatles, it would broaden their popularity to include an adult generation who, to that point, had regarded the Beatles as something of a noisy nuisance something they had vainly tried to wish away. And what absolutely nobody had anticipated, not the Beatles, not the filmmakers, and certainly not the distributor, was that the film itself would become an influential classic and a watershed event in the intergenerational culture clash that rock and roll personified. Of course, back in 1964 when the film was released, nobody I knew was thinking such big thoughts about the Beatles. In those days, it really was quite simple. We loved their music, and A Hard Day's Night was a chance to spend 90 minutes with them at the local cinema, which is sort of what I was doing. I was in London's old Scala Theatre, screaming my head off for the Beatles who were on the stage, in the flesh, singing their latest batch of hit songs, not just for us, but more importantly, for the cameras. Yes, I was an extra in A Hard Day's Night. Now, trust me, I didn't get the part because of my extraordinary acting ability. Actually, I was there because, like everybody else in the theatre, I was crazy about the Beatles. And believe me, we didn't have to do much acting. All we needed was to hear that incredible music. A Hard Day's Night was an extraordinary moment in cinema history, a film in which great music and the almost alchemic magic of this truly fabulous foursome created what is the most beloved big-screen appearance in Beatles history. In fact, A Hard Day's Night was that, and a whole lot more. But where did this movie come from? Well, as popular as the Beatles were in England and as famous as they had already become in America, the truth was no rock group had ever made a truly successful transition from the concert stage to the sound stage. It was the fall of 63, and Beatlemania was the freshly minted phrase for the madness surrounding the Beatles, who were then enjoying their third straight number one record, She Loves You. A United Artists record executive, with an eye towards cashing in on this latest teen craze, approached Walter Shenson to produce a film which would capitalise on the Beatles' exploding popularity. It's been a hard... There's a really big shoe tonight. A really big shoe tonight. Yes, sir, we've really got a spectacle for you this time. This is Neil Young. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, 
where you can find out all about us. And don't forget, if you missed any of our past shows, 330-some-odd shows over the last seven and a half years, go to our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you can tune in. Anyway, good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So why don't you go ahead and do the social media honors for us, please? Sure. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Periscope, LinkedIn, at Nostalgic Radio and Cars, at NRC on Air, and Instagram, at Gulfstream Motorsports. And now I do believe it's time for the FLA carshows.com report. Report, yeah. Well, you know what? There's a lot of local car shows going on. And particularly since we're in Florida and the weather seems to be hot and balmy. Well, you know what? We forgot that cliff, right, Bobby? <laughs> That's getting to be a regular around here. Anyway, and uh, so there's not a lot of really cool big car shows, but there's a lot of local ones going on. So if you want to find out where all the car shows are, definitely check out the website. FloridaCarshows.com or FLACarshows.com. Weather out there today is hot and scrappy with continued hot and crappy in the afternoon. Tomorrow, a chance of continued crappy with a pissy weather front coming down from the north. <laughs> if you'd like to sponsor that uh, weather report. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, called. yeah. You know what? I mean, every time, I mean, it, 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 it defines Florida. It really does. You know, in the summertime. Well, in summer. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I moved here in the 70s, early 70s, it was like, you could set your clock by the weather. Every afternoon between 1 and one twenty, we would get a 20-minute shower. And it was kind of interesting because my parents had a motel on Clearwater Beach, so what we would do is we would sit there, and when the rain would come down, everybody in the beach parking lot, we were right across the street from the main drag, on the main drag right across from the public beach. So everybody at the beach would fly to the cars, get in their cars, back up, scramble around, sometimes bump each other, and then they'd be all lined up to pull out of the parking lot. Problem was, the traffic was so bad, and at the time, you know, getting on and off the beach was a pain in the butt to begin with. No different than it is today, and it really hasn't improved much. But at any rate, uh, so here's all these people sitting in line. Now, keep in mind, they all backed out of the parking spots, lost the parking spots, already paid for the meters. Now they're sitting there for 25, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden, the rain stops, the sun starts to come out, and guess what they do? Well, I guess we have to turn around go back and find a place to hang out on the beach again because it's nice now. Although the sand is wet and moist, it's still a nice day. But you know what? It's just so hot and steamy. The thing is, as you get close to the water, it really doesn't feel that bad. But if you're, you know, you're a few hundred yards past you're in the parking lot, you can just see the steam and the heat just coming out of the asphalt, you know, because it just cooled everything down. So now you got all this humidity and everything like that, you know, so it's just like really miserable. But I used to get a big kick out of that because, you know, everybody would sit there and, and just try to get out of the parking lot, not realizing that, you know, in 20 minutes, the sun would be out, the rain would stop, and uh, you could reset your watch and have a nice afternoon on the beach. So, uh, you know, the best thing to do is just run to your car, sit in your car, wait out the 20 minutes, and then go back to the beach. But no, 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 you know, human nature is to scramble. But anyway, so that was that back then. Now, going back to uh, FloridaCarShows.com, there's a lot of local car shows going on. So whether you're in Central Florida, whether you're in West Florida, whether you're in South Florida... Go check out FloridaCarshows.com, and you can find out about all the stuff that's going on. And, of course, you know, now we have all the weekly shows that everybody goes to. You know, we have a lot of local ones here, and you have someone in Orlando. In fact, one of the better ones in Orlando now is they're uh, teaming up Ace Cafe, because every night Ace Cafe has a featured, I'll just say, a featured group of cars. For example, like last night it was, what, Tuna Night, right? Was that Correct. what it was, Bobby? Yep, yep. I think Wednesday night is uh, Ford Night. I think they got Import Night. And Friday got, is the cruising. And the cruising. So, yeah, if you're in the Orlando area, that's it. You know what? Uh, and it's... Go ahead. Actually, there's a full calendar, because not every week's actually even the same. There's actually a full calendar. I'm sure it's online, but uh, it's right inside. When you walk inside, it gives you the great multitude of uh, car events that they have for each month by day, with all their little themes on each day of the week, or each day of the month, um, something different, so you can see the calendar. Yeah, okay, so... Anyway, the big, 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 big event is coming up in the middle of next month, and that is Monterey Collector Car Week. So as we approach Monterey Collector Car Week, we will be uh, interviewing a number of people that put on events out there. So we'll be talking to guys from Meekum Auctions. John Kramer's coming back on. We're going to talk to some of the guys out there at uh, Laguna Seca. We've got really exciting vintage races going on. Gooding Auctions got some amazing cars. A pair, not one, but two, a pair, a matched pair of SL Mercedes 300s. Okay, they got a Gullwing and a uh, Roadster, both from the same family. That's pretty cool. Obviously, Pebble Beach is the highlight of the week. You've got the uh, Carmel Tour de Elegance. That's on Thursday. And then the kickoff is the Carmel Concourse on the Ave by our good friend Doug Friedman. 
And that's cool. And then Grassroots Motorsports, which is based right out of here, out of uh, Daytona, Florida, the magazine, Grassroots Motorsports and uh, Classic Motorsports, they do a kickoff party on Monday. So uh, if you if you have to put an event, two events on your schedule, Amelia Island and Monterey Car Week. In fact, we saw a commercial. What TV show was it? It's uh, Car Week. You know how they have Shark Week? Car Week yes, is that on week. on the History Channel. On the History mm-hmm. Channel on the week of 17th, right? So, Bobby, let me guess. we got something spinning around. Since we're on this Beatles kick, now the reason we're on the Beatles kick is because two weeks ago we were at NAM in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's the National Association of Music Merchants, right? Mm-hmm. Did I say it right, Bobby? Okay. Right. So the guests that we have on tonight are both uh, people that are involved in musical instruments. One, Jay coming back on. He builds really cool bass guitars, Sarek guitars, and then we have a representative coming on from, uh, well, we'll keep it a surprise. Tune in, and okay, you'll find out, we, right? Uh... We hear some Hard Day's Night. Let's hear some Beatles. Yeah, yeah let's hear a little. Back in the USSR. Or? Back in the US. Well, no, let's do Hard Day's okay. Night. That's a. All right. Since we were, we did the intro. Okay, sure. Hey, don't touch that doll. We'll be right back. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727 501 9090. That's 727 501 9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727 501 9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN Tan Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Hi, I'm Bruce Cohn, and I'm the manager of the Doobie Brothers. And when I'm in town, I listen to nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our first guest for the afternoon or the evening. And I'm delighted to welcome back to Nostalgic Radio and Cars our special guest, Jake Sarek of Sarek Bases, founder of Sarek Bases. Jake, how you doing? Welcome back to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me back, Robert. 
So tell us, we uh, we were delighted to meet you at NAM. That was a great experience for us. How was it for you? It was great. I mean, you were there. The, the room was full of energy the whole weekend. It was a great experience. Like, I, all my expectations were met. Uh, what was really cool to me was how kind of friendly and collaborative the atmosphere was. There's a lot of competition in the room. You know, there's a lot of people doing the same thing and competing for business opportunities and everything. But at the end of the day, everybody that I met was very friendly, had really great feedback for me, and it just seemed like everyone kind of wanted to help each other out. So it was really, really cool. The layout that you had, okay, you were over there like against the uh, back section, but that's where a lot of boutique guitars were. What did you think of that? Did you like the way Nam kind of laid that out for you? Yeah, yeah, I think it's nice that they kind of lay everything out uh, in quadrants with kind of like uh, similar industries. You know, it's it's nice to be by pedals and other guitars and stuff like that so that you're not just getting guys who are there for drums or microphones or things, you know, kind of wandering through your area. It kind of, it kind of funnels everybody that's relevant to your area, you know. Okay. You had a great display there, too, and you had a number of bases, and I was uh, kind of watching a little bit, and you had a number of people that were sitting down and playing your basses. What kind of feedback did you get from the people that were like new to your your style of bass? Because you've got a handmade wooden bass, of uh-huh. a number of different styles, and uh, some retro, some modern. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, people were especially interested in trying out my short and medium scale instruments. That's uh, a little less common, and uh, I think people are always really curious to kind of pick one up and see how it feels. Um, you know, it's a little bit hard for people to hear. I had an amp and everything, and I had a seat right next to it so people could kind of get their ear right down next to the speaker. So I had a lot of good feedback there, but I think the the main thing that I took away from it was everyone was really impressed with the way the instruments played and felt in their hands. You know, they they commented on how lightweight they are and how easy they were to play, things like that. So that was, that was good kind of affirmation for me that I must be doing something right. Well, as you mentioned short scale versus long scale too, and and for for, yeah. for our listeners, most basses are long scale, basically long necks. Okay, and what Jake builds, and what seems to be kind of the trend now, is short scale basses. Now, tell us a little bit about how, why there's such a resurgence and why there's such an interest in short scale basses. Yeah, it's uh, they have well, there's a couple reasons. For one, they have their own tone because of the the shorter scale. It's a it's a thirty and a half inch versus a thirty four inch, which is what the full scale bass is. So because of the the shorter scale, there's a different tension on the strings, and therefore they kind of respond differently uh, in the in the frequency spectrum. The low end is a little bit looser and and wider. You can get kind of like a vintage tubby sound out of them. And then from a from just like a player ergonomic perspective, they're they're a lot easier to play. They're usually lighter weight, so a lot of guys with smaller hands or older guys who don't want to carry around a, a twelve or thirteen pound instrument would gravitate towards short scales too, just for the the ease of uh, you know reaching the lower frets and having it hanging on their on their shoulder all night. Um, but those are the main reasons, you know. Okay, and another question I have is okay most players would probably be familiar with a Fender P bass or a Fender Jazz bass. Now, do you make a Jazz bass version and a, I guess, a standard bass? And, and, and if so, what are the differences so our listeners can kind of get an idea of what the differences is, are? Well, so yeah, so a, a P bass has one single pickup right in the middle and a Jazz bass has two pickups, so you get a little bit of a different, you know, tonal variety out of it. I don't, I don't make anything that is specifically modeled after those two bases i try and stay away from that aesthetic just because there are so many people out there copying those types of instruments but it's all it's all the same i do have bases with a single pickup right in the middle and bases with two pickups so you can still kind of get that tonal variety but uh the people who are interested in my bases are kind of trying to get away from just having another fender copy you know they they have different influences like rickenbacker or guild or gibson you know, older bases from the 60s and 70s that uh, are still, you know, popular, but maybe didn't get as much attention as vendors have historically. Okay. And did you get a chance to walk around a little bit at all? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool. I mean, I definitely got a chance to see everybody that I wanted to. And it was it was nice because I've been in touch with a lot of these people via email or telephone. So it was really nice to finally put faces to names and just uh, kind of build the relationship with these people you know what i think it brings everybody a little bit closer and it just makes doing business with 
all these different folks that much more enjoyable. Okay. Now, so. I, another question I got, and this is one I'm real curious about. While yeah. you were there and as you had a chance to look around and compare, did you get any ideas to kind of improve your guitar or come up with some new styles or anything like that? I mean, did we, were there some positive influences that you go, hey, I think I can uh, – this, this is interesting. I think I'm going to move in this direction too and experiment. <laughs> I think uh, – not so much from walking around and seeing what other people are doing again, because I'm just trying to do my own thing. So in a way, I'm kind of off in my own world in that regard. Mm-hmm. But but from but from getting player feedback, just from the feedback of people who sat down and actually played the instrument and went, you know, this is what I like about it, or this reminds me of this or that. Or a lot of people say, oh, could you do a different scale version of this model, et cetera. So I get a lot of direct feedback from from the people interested in my in my instruments, and that is what I like to take influence of. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, can you can you explain, like, is there a certain way that people hold and play a bass guitar? I mean, generally people play a bass guitar with their fingers. They don't use a pick. And so is there a style, is there something you can explain on the, on the air? Um, you know, let's say different styles, different positions that you hold a bass and to kind of give people an idea of, of what it would be like, you know? Well, you know, I think pick, Pick's actually very popular with bass, too. You'd be surprised. I mean, there are kind of the, I guess, purists out there who would say that a bass should only be played with fingers. But I think, all in all, um, it's not too much different from guitar because you can still play it with a pick. What's nice about using fingers is that um, you can kind of pluck the strings at different positions on the bass, which will affect the tone. So say you have a single pickup bass, and the pickup is right kind of in the middle of the body. You can pluck right over the pickup, or you can move your hand back closer to the bridge, which will tighten up the tone. If you move your, your fingers up towards the end of the fingerboard, you'll get a kind of a deeper, tubbier tone out of it. So that's that's kind of a, 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 something that's a little bit unique to bass. You can kind of control the tone a little bit more with your fingers on your right hand. Okay. In the old days, flat-wound strings were kind of popular, and then everybody went to the regular coil type. So... Um, is there is that is that a player's preference right there? And do you use either flat rounds or uh, the round coil type? Or am I using the right yeah, terminology? Yeah, I use both pretty pretty equally. Um, again, like the flat wounds are still very popular for depending on the type of music you're doing. They're great to get kind of a more muted tone with a little bit less sustain. But again, they have a different low end response too. And flat wound strings are actually really popular, specifically on short scale basses, because flat wound strings tend to have a higher tension depending on the set you buy they tend they typically have higher tension than a round wound string which is nice to kind of counteract the already naturally lower tension of a short scale string it kind of brings it back up to a a tighter feel interesting interesting how about pickups what type of pickups do you use in your guitars uh i've got a variety right now the the, there are three main manufacturers i use one is uh guild guild makes a bs1 by sonic pickup that i use quite a lot um, my buddy Curtis Novak out in California winds some really great pickups. I use TV Jones pickups. And then as of this summer, I actually debuted at NAM my very first uh, model pickup that I'm winding here myself in Chicago. Oh, really? I've got a, it's called the B90. It's kind of like a Gibson P90 pickup, but wound and made specifically for bass guitar. Now tell us a little bit about pickups, okay? So mm-hmm. when you say you wind your own, why would you wind yours as opposed to buying some of the, the brands that you mentioned or Seymour Duncan or, you know, somebody like that? Or yeah. A- for, well, for starters, I wanted a specific look. I wanted to okay. make a dog ear P90 pickup for bass, and no one's really doing that right now. Uh, actually, no one that I can think of. So I wanted to, to make a pickup that looked like that. And so to do that, I had to make my own bobbins and, and wines and everything like that just because it doesn't exist. Um, otherwise, you know, you can just have a little bit more control over the tone. If I want to get a darker, badder-sounding pickup, I can overwind or underwind for a brighter sound. It's just nice to have that control. I can wind for a specific instrument or do something custom for a customer. Just another element that makes the instrument kind of my own creation. Mm-hmm. You know what I thought was kind of interesting is I was overwhelmed by the amount of, let's say, accessories like pedals and and yeah. and, and and things of that nature and pickups, you know, and uh-huh. just all kinds of stuff like that. I never really realized, and just to your point, you know, about you know making your own pickups because you wanted a certain sound or somebody making a certain pedal because they wanted a certain sound or or or, uh, or an effect or something like that. And 
That that really surprised me. I didn't really realize that musicians are so much in tune to that that uh, it makes a difference. And and sometimes it's just subtle, but it's just enough that I like this, but I don't like that, and this is the direction I want to go. Yeah, you know, it's it's cool. It, one thing I will say, like the, the pedal and pickup markets right now are are so oversaturated, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's just a lot of competition and a lot of people making really great stuff out there. Uh, I think what it does is allows players to just kind of customize their their sound a little bit more too you know if you have a guitar you like but you want to change the pickup style you can do that or you can you know try out 15 different fuzz pedals until you find the one that just matches the sound in your head so it's a really cool time to be a player because you have so many options at the same time the market is is flooded with that kind of stuff so it's very hard to compete as well are you going to go to uh nam in LA, is that on your uh, on your schedule now? Since you've been, you know, it won't be really affordable for me to, to go exhibit there this year. Um, but I think I'm going to fly out there and just attend as a guest and walk around and you know, kind of catch up with people that I met at Summer Nam and hopefully meet some new folks too. Okay, super. Well, Jake, we're uh, we're we're just about out of time here, but I'll tell you what. What I want you to do is give everybody the information on how they can find out more about your superior handmade bases. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, my website is www.sterekbasis.com. That's S-E-R-E-K. Um, I'm on Instagram, Sterek underscore bases. Got a Facebook page as well. So uh, Instagram is one of the best ways to keep up with what I'm doing currently. I post pictures just about every day there. So, okay, super. Yeah. Well, Jake, thank you very much. Maybe uh, with a little luck, we'll be at NAM in L.A. In the meantime, have fun playing guitar. Keep improving on your basses, and we wish you the best of luck. All right. Thanks again, Robert. All right. Take care. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Jake Sarek, for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Cars for the second time. Talked a little bit about his exquisite handmade faces and NAM. Hey, guys, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. when I was 12 and I saw a man on a flaming pie and he said you're Beatles with an A and we are. They are the most famous rock and roll band in history. Change the sound of music as we know it forever. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. Everybody has written about them. Everybody has told their story. Yesterday. Love was such an easy game to play. No. You know, you went to see those movies with Elvis or something in it when, when we were still in Liverpool, and you'd see everybody waiting to see him, right? And I'd be waiting there too. And they'd all scream when he came on the screen. Right? So we thought, that's a good job.
fun. So much fun. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. You're never the same. It alters your life, and you never think the same again. We were the first working class singers that stayed working class and pronounced it. Didn't try and change our accents, which in England are look, were looked down upon, probably still are. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Hey now and have mercy, this is Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and yes, thanks, Mr. Billy Gibbons, ZZ Top. You are listening to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Now, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And since we've been on this uh, Beatles thing here for the majority of the show, if you recall, Paul McCartney plays a violin-shaped bass guitar, which is made by a German company called Hoffner, and it's one of the finest guitars around. And, uh, you know, as in most cases, you know, things that come from Europe, particularly Germany, like Porsches, Mercedes, BMWs, are always state-of-the-art and always the best. Well, this evening, I have a representative from Hoffner Guitars, and he's a fellow musician. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Rob Olson. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about uh, Rob Olson, who Rob Olson is, and uh, and then we'll get on to Hoffner Guitars. By the way, my last name is Olson, but my mother's last name is Heimerman, so I can speak for your German comment there, like I'm half German, so hopefully uh, um, <laughs> I can shed some quality light in there too with the german quality oh absolutely yeah. look at the lineage very good very good <laughs> that's right that's right so yeah I'm, I'm general manager for hoffner guitars i run north america and i've been with the company not to date myself but already 18 years it's uh, been fun and interesting and it's fun and interesting every day still i really enjoy it now you're a, a musician you started uh give us a little background on yourself now a little bit so uh, how'd you get involved in music um my grandfather played guitar, and I acquired my grandfather's guitar when he passed away when I was pretty young. So I started pretty seriously at 13. I started taking lessons, and the, uh, the teacher, after like a year, said he couldn't show me anymore. <laughs> and then the music store where I actually took lessons gave me kind of a program where during the summer months I would actually ride my bike across town. I grew up in Wisconsin, and um, I would get lessons every day of the week except for Sunday. Um, just because they, the store and the teacher took an interest in me. I think I started playing in bands probably six months after I started, and I still juggle many bands still today. I took a little break for a while because it's difficult running the company, but um, I recently relocated to Ohio, and I'm doing many things here in many different cities and many different styles of music. I just love music in general, so I'm playing all kinds of different, different genres right now. Okay, so... Uh... To put it in kind of a perspective, the you're a fast learner, sounds like. So if you were playing in band six, uh, six months, I mean, that's pretty doggone good. Yeah, I guess I guess I, uh, all I wanted to do is stay home and play guitar and um, never wanted to do it for any other reason other than the sound of guitar. It just intrigued me you know, when I heard music. Um, well, I grew up in the 80s, so I grew up with, like, guitar rock. And once you hear, like, distorted rock guitar it made me really curious to try to achieve that sound. Um, but as I get older now, I kind of reversed back. And obviously, since I worked for Hoffner, I became a big Beatle nut, as well as jazz and all kinds of stuff from Motown, everything. Pretty much every every style of music. Most styles. Any good music is good music, I guess, right? Yeah, that's it. It really does. It's just kind of, it's like, uh, music's like a time machine. You know, it takes everybody back. And uh, just like you had mentioned, you played... Uh, uh, music out of the 80s, you know, and that was the the hairband era and, you know, heavy metal and, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a, a new wave and all kinds of funky stuff. And that was kind of cool because it was probably more of a variety of music, you know, that you would listen to on the radio, probably more so than any other time. I mean, you know, in the 60s and 70s, we had, you know, your basic rock and you had country and, and, uh, and then, you know, ballads and stuff like that. But I think music... And you can concur with this, if you will. 
uh, or contri- or you know comment on it. But it seems to me that uh, there was you know with the term alternative, I think also came out of the late '80s. I think perhaps, but uh, music became kind of diverse a little bit during the '80s and '90s. When you say, yeah, I mean some of it, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I played and liked now, but. Um, to be honest with you, I grew up playing guitar at a good time because guitar was more acrobatic, as they call it, um, when I started. So, it, um, in fact, many music stores around, which we deal with music stores all around Canada and in the States, if you ever walk into a music store, you'll see a young student with a Led Zeppelin book or a Beatles book or an Ozzy Osbourne book or an ACDC book or some kind of classic rock, which is kind of funny because... It seems like everybody still wants to learn the stuff that I kind of grew up learning even today, even though there are a lot of guitar-based um, music. Now it seems like that stuff really never goes out of style, and it's interesting that children still want to learn you know, that stuff that I grew up on. It's kind of, kind of funny, and speaking to a lot of the guitar teachers, like they're not really going in with you know, new music. Uh, it's more classic rock. I think part of that might be because of the video games like Guitar Hero. And Beatles rock band, of course, kind of helps. And also, I guess, people's parents listen to that music, so they kind of grew up with that in their household as well. But it's uh, I'm just glad people still want to learn guitar and they're not just sitting on video games all day. Until now. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, tell it, so you're a musician, you learned it, and now, so you're out of the 80s. I'm a product of the 60s. So in the 60s, okay. you had sports, you had... Uh, you know, you played outdoor games, things like that, music. You might have been the bicycles, cars, skateboards, things of that nature. You know, if you lived on the beach, you went same surfing. For, same, same in the 80s. Same. So, yeah, in the 80s, too. So we didn't really have high-tech things. So people that gravitated to music, they did it for out of passion, uh, curiosity. And those that stayed with it, you know, uh, in many cases did very, very well. You know, but now you've, been, you've, you've played with a number of bands out of the 80s and 90s, and you still do, and you play with a number of bands. So tell us from your perspective, how hard is it to really make it in the music world? I mean, you also sell musical instruments to professionals, some very successful, and some just, you know, you know, locals, you know, local talent and stuff. So tell us a little bit about how that kind of works. Well, try not to be depressing, but I think making it is kind of a has-been word. Mm-hmm. Um, now with downloads for artists, there's not the appeal. Again, I, I started because of the sound of the guitar. I wasn't in it for girls and money and that kind of stuff, although, you know, people always think about that stuff later. But um, it, uh, now I think it's sort of harder to be a rock star and rock stars. I think people now would rather maybe be a video game star. There might be more money and more fame in <laughs> being a gamer. Um, so if you talk to the older generation, so we deal with music stores as a distributor, and we also deal with artists, um, you know, like, uh, we have a ton of artists besides Paul McCartney, who's played the Beatle bass. Actually, Paul McCartney played guitar in the Quarrymen, which was the first Beatles, the name of the first Beatles. And Paul had a Hofner guitar. And it was actually, he borrowed it from either John Lennon or Harrison. They both had the same guitar. I don't remember which one he borrowed. And at the time, there's a guy named Stu Sutcliffe playing bass. And he had a Hofner. So it's kind of fun. So like all of the Beatles in the history of the Beatles, including Pete Best, own or have an association with Hofner, which is pretty cool, um, you know, for, for that end of it. But when you talk to the kind of the older established rock stars, a lot of them um, aren't so optimistic about the way music is turned with downloads and the way they get paid um, versus the old days when you had a record deal, you knew you would sign a million-dollar record label deal or a multi-million-dollar record label deal. And now... Most of the bands own their own music, um, and the, the payout isn't the same as it used to be, but they all do it because they love it, and even though a lot of them are a little bit grumpy about the way it's changing, I think it's the new world, and people are adjusting the best they can to the new way music is sold and distributed. It's the same with artists or anything in the arts, I think, just with the Internet and the way the world is. But, again, we all do this because we love it, and most of us do it not for the money, just because we love music and it brings different moods to people and sort of therapy for people, I think. Okay, tell us a little bit about Hoffner guitars. Now, you meant, we know we all know that uh, um, Paul McCartney that basically is his signature guitar, the violin-shaped bass. And and I have to admit too, even when I was in the '60s, 
there was a TV show on Saturday afternoons, and it was the Beatles, okay? And so um, at the time, early on, the, the musical instruments that the Beatles played, obviously we know that um, Ringo played drums, and I think, I think he played Ludwig's, Ludwig's. And I think, right. which yep. I think are some sort of a German deal there. Uh, John Lennon played a Rickenbacker, which has a German kind of background, you know, correlation. Right. Um, George Harrison right. played Gretsch's as well as Rickenbackers. And uh, Paul McCartney played the, uh, with the Hoffner. And so what's interesting is those guys were in Europe and they were influenced by European musical instruments at the time. And of course, anything that generally came out of Europe was either, you know, was pretty good. Okay, even though we had Fender and Gibson and and some right. other and and Taylor or Marshall, nobody had uh, um, no, Martin. But at any rate, so that TV show kind of influenced me a little bit. Okay, so I went out and I bought a guitar, and I couldn't afford a, a Gibson or a Gretsch or a Rickenbacker, but I could afford a Japanese facsimile, and that's what I bought. And then later, still being enamored with uh, with with Paul and his his violin shaped bass, I acquired one. So and a lot of people made those retro looking guitars that were kind of knockoffs if you will but i will admit back in the 60s they were made fairly decent quality and you can probably concur to that too so fast forward to today you know you said at one point you know paul mccartney played that guitar for a number of years and then he put it down during the wings period which was during the 70s and then now he's kind of started picking that guitar back up so tell us a little bit about uh, paul mccartney the association with hoffner and a little bit of background about hoffner and then how he opens his shows too sure by the way uh, martin guitars which is a famous uh, acoustic guitar company that you mentioned a second ago it's actually a german hit, uh, heritage brand as well it started um in germany so there's a lot of instrument building history really from germany because of the violin okay you all right um in fact in fact uh I'll answer your question in a second, but um, Hofner uh, had, in England, in the 50s and 60s, had 60% market share all through the UK Commonwealth. So really? if you walked into a music store in Europe or in England, um, in the 50s and 60s, 60% of the hooks on the wall would be Hofner instruments, and then the other 40% were other brands combined. So Hofner had a huge market share, which made it great for us fast forward because a lot of the English rock stars besides the Beatles, like David Gilmore from Pink Floyd had a Hoffner, Peter Frampton had a Hoffner, pretty much anybody that grew up, uh, Richard Blackmore from Deep Purple, anybody that grew up in England um, playing in the 50s and 60s most likely had a Hoffner. So there's stories after stories. I met Peter Frampton, oh, about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, and he had like this look in his eye when we presented him another Hoffner, and he remembers like walking past a music store as a little kid, you know, dreaming of wanting a Hoffner, where myself growing up in America, we wanted Fenders and Gibsons and so on, because that was in the window at the time. But um, yeah, Hoffner had a really big market share in the UK, which again is great for us today because a lot of people remember seeing these artists and there's videos on YouTube now, speaking of technology, with these guys as young boys, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. There's a video of him, like when he was 14, playing a Hofner arch top on YouTube and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Okay, so uh, yeah, we forgot to mention Hofner also made six string guitars and I believe twelve strings as well, besides the 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 the, the bass guitars. So people always Correct. forget about that, you know that. Uh, so that's that's where you're going. So the like like Gilmore and people like that, Richie and everybody, Blackmore, they all played six strings. They weren't all bass players. There was only I think yeah. a handful of them. But go ahead. That's correct. But yeah, to answer your question about Paul McCartney, so yeah, he. Paul's had like a Hoffner since basically he started playing guitar and then later bass. And he had an original one that was stolen. He, he bought it in 61 and that was stolen. So he purchased a new one. And that bass was used on the Ed Sullivan show, which influenced so many of our heroes in our generation. If you talk to, when I meet these artists that are recording stars and stuff, they, they all kind of say the reason they started playing guitar or bass is because of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. It's amazing how many times I hear that. And um, Paul still has that bass today. Um, we made him a few other ones that look identical to that one, so you can't really tell if it's the old original one or the new one that looks like the old one. But, yeah, he uh, Elvis Costello um, was recording with Paul. I think it was probably the late 90s. I don't have the exact year. And Elvis Costello is the one that told Paul to bust out his Hoffner again for a track. And it's been a signature again ever since. Um, 
which is fantastic. And then when he opens the show, as you mentioned a second ago, he when the lights are off and the crowd is waiting for Paul to come on, the big screens on the on the on the stage basically the lights kind of shut off, and then there's an image of just our base uh, that comes up on the screens, and the crowd goes wild because they recognize Paul because of the shape of the violin is so iconic to Paul. And uh, I think we're probably one of the only, if not the only, instruments that's recognized to one artist so much, like Paul, just because he's so visible and has used it for so long. So people kind of nicknamed the violin bass the Beatle bass um, because of Paul McCartney. So it's pretty cool for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell, yeah. Us, tell us about some of the shows that you guys attend. Now, we were we, we met at NAM, which was uh, the summer NAM here in Nashville, Tennessee, which is the right. uh, National Association of Music Instruments. And then, of course, they have the big one in L.A. How much of an impact a tent does NAM have for you when you guys attend? Um, well, it's great because uh, most of the music merchant show is obviously retailers, you know, like the Guitar Center, Sam Ash type stores, which you guys have done by there, and then little independent dealers. But it's also... Um, artists, and then the show also kind of turned into, you know, friend of a friend that gets a badge from a from a buddy kind of a thing. But it's uh, it's the largest public show. They have the one in California in January, and then they have the national show, which is fairly small. And then they have now like a Shanghai show in China, which is huge, and then a Frankfurt show in in Germany. Of course, that's really big for different markets. We attend pretty much all of these shows. I I pretty much um, manage North America, so. I, I sometimes go to Frankfurt in China as well, but um, usually it's NAM. I've been going to NAM since 1988, I guess I started. Um, I started working in music stores when I was 17, so I started going to NAM um, quite a long time ago. and been to almost all of them. I missed a couple during some retail years, but it's a, it's a great place to see instruments, um, to see famous musicians. Like every year, Stevie Wonder is there with his with his crew. Um, and you know, every year there's all kinds of people like that, that you can see. And then they have performances on stages and a lot of demos from musicians and then signing autographs. stuff. you'll see slash from guns and roses pretty much every year in Eddie Van Halen and those types of players signing autographs or doing a little demo with big crowds around them. So it's pretty fun. Interesting. Interesting. Now, how strong is the music industry as far as, you know, kids today getting interested in it? Because, like, when you go to a Sam Ash or you go to Guitar Center, it seems like there's tons and tons of guitars hanging on the hook, as you say. And uh, so I'm just curious, you know, and then is it, a lot of the guitars look very similar. What what inspires people to buy guitars? Is it uniqueness? Is it uh, is it the uh, the passion to play? Um, just give, us, give us kind of a little bit of a background on that. Um, well, that's uh, a little tricky question. I think a lot of it, like, um, unfortunately, is like uh, rock stars that have passed, um, mm-hmm. and then people want that look and that sound, so they'll buy, you know, that instrument to remember their idol. Um, some of it's current artists that are playing it, like if you watch Jimmy Kimmel or one of those types of shows, and you see an artist and you like the way it sounds or looks, or all of the above, you go out and buy one. The state of the music industry is also a tricky question because, again, we're competing with you know, some rough economy uh, years in the recent past and possibly still today. And then you're competing again with video games and sports and I think skateboards are kind of coming back, as you mentioned as well. So like um, you're, you're competing against people's dollars with the economy, but um, I'm glad to see that classic rock is still holding on for people to be inspired. And also there's a lot of good new music with guitar in it again. If you remember the 70s, the disco stuff, like there was no guitar in it. So it kind of uh, was probably a tough time for guitar sales. But uh, acoustic guitars are more popular than ever right now just because of artists like Ed Sheeran and different John Mayer type artists. Although John plays and Ed, I think, both play a lot of electric guitars as well. But acoustic sales are probably up. The reports on electric guitars are down. Um, and you know, kind of hanging on. And part of it also, there's a Rosewood law that went into effect for wood where you have to, they're basically trying to make it difficult and they're protecting, well, they're, they're trying to protect Rosewood. So it's very, very difficult to ship a guitar out of the country uh, made of Rosewood without all kinds of documents and months and months and months of paperwork and and uh, stuff 
stuff to do. So a lot of people are using alternative woods now. Um, you know, you saw it in the 70s with Brazilian rosewood. And those guitars now, if you buy one used, they're not made anymore of a Brazilian unless you have a special license, and it's very rare and very expensive. But you're seeing, like, old Martin Brazilian rosewood guitars going for several hundred thousand dollars, if not more. Wow. <laughs> um, just because people want that wood and they know it's not made anymore, et cetera. So a lot of it's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, things go in trends. and, and uh, But we're lucky that the Beatles are always still trendy. So for, for Hoffner, it's been really great. And like I said, we have a lot of other artists now playing them as well. A lot of young bands are starting to use them, and probably because of Paul and the influence of the Beatles. But you're starting to see that be a trendy instrument again, too, which is great. Okay. Now, um, I think we got about a minute or so left, but Hofner makes basically a entry level, and then they make the high-end level. So you've got some of the guitars that are being made in Germany, and then some of them are being, let's just say, uh, overseas. Yeah, we have China, which starts at about $349 for a violin or beetle bass. And then we have instruments that are made in China but have German parts, and those are in the $800 range. And then we have German instruments that are made by some of the same people that have worked at Hoffner since the late 50s that are still there, believe it or not. Um, they're starting to retire off. but um, And those start in the $2,800 um, price range, and it's based on currency exchange and based on labor costs and based on wood costs and parts costs, et cetera. So we basically have three levels, you know, $349, $800, and then the $2,800 plus wow. price range. They all look similar, but when you get into the details, there there are quite a bit of differences in in the, in the woods and the parts. Okay. That are, so if uh, we're up against the clock here right now. So, uh, Rob, tell us if people want to find out more about Hoffner and if they want to acquire a Hoffner guitar, how do they go about doing it? Um, you can go to your local retailer. If you're listening in Florida, you know, Sam Ash and Guitar Center type stores have them or independent stores. Or you can go to Hoffner.com or Hoffner Guitars on Facebook as well to see sort of the news and see videos and factory tours, et cetera, online. Super, super. Well, Rob, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show and talking a little bit about Hoffman Guitars, a little bit about your background. Love to have you on again sometime, maybe just in time for the next uh, Winter NAM show. So uh, in the meantime, you take care, keep in touch, and uh, good luck with uh, Hoffman Guitars. I want to thank my special guest thank this you. evening, Rob Olson, manager for Hoffner Guitars USA. Rob, take care. Thank you very much. Hey guys, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Find out all about us, and don't forget to check out our archive page. Listen to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Tell your friends every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network. Nostalgic Radio Cars. For the best in music, motorsports. Hopefully we'll see you some of the car shows. Don't forget to check out FloridaCarshows.com. Hey, if you're hanging around here locally, don't forget next door, open mic night at Naughty Nancy's. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you ten dollars if you sing into his can. Downtown day. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN Clearwater FM 106.1. WCF Dade City Tampa Bay. WZHR Zephyr Hills FM 104.3. Listen.